Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we have Chris Collins, former Ole Miss wide receiver, Ole Miss legend Chris Collins, on the show to talk about his career playing with Eli Manning that 2003 season, some memories from his career, what he's doing now, and uh, a whole lot of stuff in between. So really enjoyed the conversation. I think you will too. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located right off Old Taylor Road, less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It will sleep eight comfortably. It is gated. It includes amenities such as a a pool, a sauna, tennis courts. It is gated. It will sleep eight comfortably. It is a perfect spot for a weekend getaway in Oxford or maybe just a couple nights passing through in the middle of the week. Whatever the case may be, hotels can be expensive, particularly on big weekends. It's hard to find a place to stay. Rent the Sip Oxford has you covered. I know some of you out there want to come to the Mercer game. Yes, it'll be hot, but it's the season opener. And maybe you're looking for a place to stay. This unit is still available for Mercer weekend. Go online to rentthesipoxford.com and book it Today, if you use the promo code Rippy Rights, R-I-P-P-E-E, Rights, R-I-T-E-S, you and you get a hundred bucks off any two nights day. Take advantage of this deal. It is a great place to stay. It is walking distance from the old Miss campus, walking distance to the Grove, walking distance to Vaught Hemingway, and it is available for the first home game as well as Vandy and ULM. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. Don't miss out on this. Book your stay today. That is rentthesipoxford.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service on the market with Seaspire Fiber. The past few years have shown us how important it is to have reliable inter- home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with the best customer service in the industry. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and South Alabama regions. Seaspire is proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Go online to cspire.com today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, for one month of free service. Do you hear that? If you just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service and the best internet on the market. Check it out today. Seaspire customer inspired. All right, here is Chris Collins. All right, we now welcome on the Oxford Ortho Letterman's Lounge guest of the week, <laughs> Ole Miss legend Chris Collins. I got to say, this is pretty special for me as well because I, at 28 years old, you were kind of one of the first athletes I have really any sort of like conscious memory of, of like following a team, particularly that 2003 season. I appreciate you joining us. How you doing? I'm wonderful. It's an honor, a pleasure to be part of this, man. Just thankful that the guys thought enough of it to invite me back for this. Absolutely. And so what's kind of your weekend like? I know you're you're being honored all weekend. What does kind of your schedule look like? Um, So there's a lot going on. It kind of caught me off by surprise, but I thank Javon for sending me an itinerary to kind of give me a heads up to let me know what's going on. So I got to meet with the team and have breakfast with those guys in the morning and, and then walk walk with champions and interviews and autographs and go to the game and get recognized on field. 
Absolutely. And Javon and everyone at the M Club and the foundation have done a great job of bringing former athletes back. I understand because of your, the nature of your job, you don't get to come back very often. I imagine there'll probably be a lot of nostalgia this weekend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um, I actually caught, uh, not last year, but when they, I came to Eli's retirement jersey ceremony and I came to the A&M game, it was, it was so different because I hadn't been back in a while. And it's it was just so nice to see a lot of people and meet a lot of guys after me that I have never met before. So I said I was going to have to get back more often. That's my plan. So Absolutely. So take me all the way back. You small town kid from Mississippi. What was your recruitment like? How'd you land at Ole Miss? What other options were you considering? Um. Well, my little hometown, Gloucester, Mississippi, actually don't have a red light, but I went to school and lived at Amit County. And um, we just we pretty much we had good athletes come through and I was being recruited heavy and only two visits that I actually took was Purdue and Ole Miss, but I had a lot of letters from different colleges and I went to Purdue, but I knew Drew Brees only had maybe a year left there and I knew Eli was just coming into Ole Miss and you know, it, it don't make sense if you're a good receiver. You can't get, don't have anybody to get the ball to you. So that was a big consideration for my decision to go to Ole Miss. And plus, it was closer to home. It's about, I don't know, three and a half, four hours from my hometown. So my family could come watch me play, too. So I think that was the two biggest things that I took in consideration. reason why I chose Ole Miss. And on top of that, it was Coach Cutcliffe and all the guys did a great job recruiting. You know, they made me feel welcome. And they allowed me to run track my freshman year at Ole Miss. So that was part of the deal, too, yeah. When was the first time when you were playing football, whether it was somewhere <clears throat> junior high or high school, that you are like, okay, I could actually go to college for this, and I'm very good at this, if that makes any sense. When did you realize that major college football was a real possibility? Brian, believe it or not, I mean, I played junior high football, but I didn't actually start playing – like serious about football until my sophomore year in high school. And I figured out real quick I was pretty good at it. So I said, hey, let's see what happens. You mentioned Eli was at least somewhat of a factor in your decision to come to Ole Miss. I mean, it was long with being home or closer to home and a bunch of other things. But that was interesting to me the way you described it about Drew Brees only having a year left. Eli was just coming in. You know, that was a little bit of a different time back then as far as like recruiting. But like how hype of a like hyped of a recruit was Eli at the time? Clearly, you'd heard of him. How anticipated was kind of his arrival to campus and you coming with him? Um, actually, Eli, Eli redshirted I didn't, so I knew I would have all four years with him. He was there a year before me. Right. And uh, uh, But, like, Deuce McAllister, all the guys, Deuce was my host when I came on my visit to Ole Miss. Like I say, they all made me feel welcome. And, you know, me and Eli got to talking a little bit on my visit. And, you know, of course, they was trying to convince me to come there. And they warned me over. When was the first time you knew he was different? When was the was there a moment where like okay this guy's got something to him? Um, I feel like Eli was you know of course Peyton his older brother doing all the big things and he wanted to prove that he wasn't living just off his brother or through his brother or whatever. I mean just the way he worked his work ethic and his intelligence of the game was just amazing and <clears throat> he did an awesome job at being a leader and motivating the guys around him to become better. So 
He just, he's just an all-around great guy, man. I watched a series on NFL Network's uh, YouTube page not too long ago about Eli, and it was reflecting back on his career, but how tough he is. And he was one of those things that was kind of funny because he doesn't really ever say anything about, like, injuries or anything. He just kind of shows up every week. Was that something you noticed pretty early on? It's like, damn, this guy will play through anything, but you would never really notice it otherwise because he doesn't really make anything of it. Brian, since you mentioned that, man, it's – actually, I can't even recall, recall that I ever remember him. I mean, I'm sure he had aches and pains, but he never mentioned it. Like you say, he just played through it because – you know, he wanted to – he knew he knew the team depended on him and needed him, and he was the leader. So, he didn't want to be that guy to leave his teammates hanging. So, Absolutely. So, you get there in 2000, you play a little bit, and you really seemingly kind of come in your own in 2001. And, of course, you have three great years stacked on top of each other after that. What was the transition to college? Kind of like what was that first year, and when did you feel like you were finding your footing as a college receiver? Uh, My freshman year, you you know, I knew it was going to be a big thing. You know, it's, you have to prove yourself at every level over and over. So I couldn't – I had to let the past go to high school. What I've done in high school, I can't – that's not going to get anybody anywhere going into college. So um, I knew I knew my work ethic. I knew the guys around me. So I had to just prove myself. And I know – it must have saw a lot in me to not redshirt me with all the competition, like Grant Hurd, all the older guys were still there, even though I was a freshman. And they they kind of showed me the ropes and told me what I needed to do, get better at. And we just worked hard. And it's it's kind of a major transition from your freshman year to sophomore to it's I guess your body develops more and you become more aware of you know, it's it's a big adjustment, but I mean, I think I handled it well, and like like you say, my sophomore year, junior year, I just got better and better, and that was the goal, and we worked hard at it. And we were a unit, too. You know, we didn't down the other players when they made a mistake. We picked each other up and helped each other, so that's the biggest thing. The guys surrounded me, and I, I knew the guys were depending on me, too, so we just kind of went from there, man. One of the fun things about researching this and kind of getting prepared for this interview was going back through the seasons and how it played out when you were at Ole Miss. And it fell in line, as I mentioned earlier. It's like, I remember some of this, and then, like, now it's kind of coming back. That seven-overtime game against Arkansas in 2001, one thing I did not remember about that was the fact that you guys were six or seven and one at that point entering the month of November. I remember it being a big game. I just didn't remember that you guys were that, you know, at that point in the year only had one loss. What do you remember about that game? I imagine that had to be exhausting. It's clearly a historic game in college football history. How how tiring was it to play a seven-overtime game? Oh, Brian, man, I'm, hey, I think if I, I can recall, that was the first time that in history that that had happened, those yeah. many overtimes. But I just thought – I think it was a total of like, like four and a half hours long. And at the, toward the end, I was just, you know, very exhausted. Of course, we didn't want to lose or go out like, like that, but it just came a point when I was like, man, okay, that's enough. Something something needs to happen, you know? And luckily we um, – I mean, we didn't get the victory on that one, but we fought to the end. I can't say anybody laid down in that thing. You usually have aches and pains, I'm sure, after playing a football game. Did that next morning feel a little different after the game like that? <laughs> yeah, just – I mean, I don't – I don't even think 
I don't think I was injured at the time. I know nothing, but I knew I slept in that definitely that morning after that. I, four and a half hours is very exhausting. You, you can't, like, I think everybody slept in. Maybe we even had the, the Monday of practice off or something. I, I can't remember, but I know it was different. It was very, very different. Two of the defining wins throughout your time at Ole Miss came against Florida in back-to-back years. You'll beat them in Oxford in 2002, the Rex Grossman. You'll go to the Swamp the next year. It seemed like that victory, particularly in 2003 at Florida, winning in the Swamp, really kick-started you guys. I think you guys won six games in a row after that, won eight of your last nine to end the year. Going into that day in Florida, what did you remember about you guys, like your realistic chances of winning? Did you, were you all pretty confident going in? And just what do you remember about that day? Um, you know, you hear if you if the swamp, I that was I'm sure everybody's first time going there, but it was you know, it's kind of intimidating if you let it get to you because you hear so much about it in the swamp, but we knew we knew we had we knew what we had, we knew we were a good football team and we just knew what we had to do and Cliff, Cliff one of his main mottos is always the team that makes the fewest mistakes will win. So we we had that heavy on our minds that you know less mistakes, the execution, and before you know it, man, we were walking out of there with a victory. You guys had started 2002 pretty well, and you kind of faded a little bit late toward the end of the season, and then won your last two games. Y'all brought a lot of guys back this year. Did y'all have a sense of just how good you could be entering that 2003 season? We did because we had kind of defined ourselves as a whole unit. You know, we knew a lot of players were coming back. We were losing some, but we definitely had guys that could step up and take the replace the guys that were leaving. But man, it's that, that was a special season. 2003, we knew everybody was pretty much leaving after that. We had a few guys that stayed back, but we, we had made up in our minds that we were going to, try to do the best, absolute best we could and make, try to make history. But, you know, of course, we had a few obstacles in throughout the way. But uh, overall, I say we still did pretty good. That LSU game that year, toward the end of the year, was probably, I think when Travis Johnson ran the interception in the end zone, it's still probably the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. I know you'd played in a lot of big games at that point. Did that one feel different than the others at all entering it? That definitely felt different because we knew LSU. You know, LSU is always a problem, you know. Man, those guys, they they train hard. They play hard. They get good recruits down there in Baton Rouge. So, um, yeah, we knew it was going to be a big game. They were – I don't know if they were – I can't remember if they were undefeated or not. We were – or we had lost one or something like that. But, uh, yeah, we knew it was going to be a – a hit banger that night, but a uh, few things happened that, you know, wish we could get back and it'd probably be a different outcome of the game because that's the same game that, I don't know, they say I stepped out of bounds, but I, you know, of course I'm going to say I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, the impeccable record of SEC officiating, I'd probably uh, I'd probably lean to your side. You're probably right on that one. Did you guys – like, it was interesting. You mentioned a big game, LSU, clearly a big game always. Did you guys understand, though, entering the week, like the significance of it? Because that game was essentially for the SEC West. It was something for Ole Miss fans that not happen in a generation. Did Cut try to downplay that at all, or did y'all really know what was at stake entering that week? You know what, Brian? Actually, 
I can't even recall that nobody ever said anything about that because I, I honestly, I didn't even recognize what was at stake then, but we just, we just knew we had to go out and I think it was more of a grudge thing than worried about winning the West, you know, like we need to beat these guys because we had only beat them one year out of the three years, you know? Absolutely. And we beat them in Baton Rouge my sophomore year, so it, that's always a tough thing. We felt like we owed them, but, hey, we didn't get to get them. And so you were a touchdown magnet, particularly your last two years at school. I think when you left, you were pro- I think you were the all-time touchdown receptions leader at the time. What was – like? you were clearly a very good receiver that did a lot of things well, but what was it about being in the red zone and you seemingly always getting open? Did you and Eli just kind of have a connection when things <laughs> broke down and you kind of had to ad-lib it? What made you so effective, particularly when you guys got down toward the red zone? <clears throat> we just – red zone, we, we worked really hard on that because we – I mean, three points is good, but seven, six points is greater, you know, so yeah. – we always focus more. We worked hard. Coach Roper and all the offense coordinators and all those guys did a great job for showing us how to execute in the red zone. And we knew we had to in order to beat teams. So, and we actually did a lot of work off season training on our own, just learning. And me and Eli kind of developed the chemistry of we kind of knew what each other wanted, even without just the look, you know? So, we we executed that well. A couple of years ago, I had Bill Flowers on the show, and we <clears> talked and kind of did the same thing, reminisced about his career. He's interesting because he doesn't like at least from like watching it on TV as a kid. Like he didn't look that physically imposing, but wow, that guy was quick and he could get open. What do you remember your first memories of like what Bill Flowers was as a player and what was it like playing alongside him? Bill, I tell you what, oh wow, Bill, man, that's my buddy. We came in at the same time. We uh. We actually played the same position and kind of rotated out, you know, unlike the players do now where they just stay until they get tired. Yeah. Uh, but Bill, different guy, different. But, man, he just – he was a tough – he was a tough cookie, man. He, he worked hard. He could catch. He can get open. And he was dependable. And he – it showed on the field. We'll get back to Chris in just a second, but I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is now brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea, packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that go down goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion. Hell yeah, I added that part. Especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate the game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, a drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. After a summer hiatus, Skybox is back. They're ready to full go for football season. They're already posting analysis on the site. To celebrate the return of football season, if you use the promo code FOOTBALL23, you get 50% off any package now through the first 
kick of the NFL, that Thursday night game coming up in two weeks. And also, if you use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you get 20% off any purchase. Just go online to skyboxsportspicks.com. Find a picks package. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I recommend going with the year-long all-access pass, college football, pro football, whatever the case may be. Pick your package. They'll send your picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet each week, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Make your football season a profitable one this year. Don't lose money based off your own liens. Go with the professionals, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, it's rippywrights.subtech.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting for 20 bucks. It's prime grilling season. Summer's winding down. Go take advantage of that now. Then go find all your own favorites at LB's. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of sausages, fresh seafood, different cuts of meat. I like the tri tips. The filet burgers are always a favorite. Go find your own favorites at the best butcher shop in the world, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Chris Collins. He had a huge catch toward the end of that Auburn game in 2003 that kind of extended the game and kept things going. And I was going back and watching it the other day. You were on the sideline, of course, because Ole Miss is on defense toward the end of the game. When Townsend or whatever that kid's name was dropped the ball in the mm-hmm. end toward the end of the game. What did you what do you remember about that? What was your reaction? Was it relief? Man, what was going through your head? That that was definitely relief because man, that that's a game changer right there, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. I imagine there had to be some sense of like, wow, we stole that one. Let's get on the bus and get the hell out of here. Yeah, let's get the hell out of here because we don't need to we don't need another scare like that, you know. And that was a big game for us too, going into Auburn. Especially with the athletes they had, uh, Jason Campbell, which is one of my good friends, uh, Ronnie Brown, Calais William, Brandon Jackson. I mean, it's hard to beat guys like that of that caliber in their element. But we pulled it out, man. That just show you how much of a a good of a team we were, too. You know. I know, and it's it's nuts to go back each year and just look at how much in future NFL talent is on SEC rosters. I mean, the guys you just named off the top of your head are, had great careers in the NFL, and they all played in that game. For you, when you left Ole Miss, I know you played a year with the Steelers. Take me through your path in professional football and kind of what led you to ultimately do something else. Man, um, so when I left Ole Miss, I didn't draft it, of course, and I ended up signing with Tampa – with because Coach Basachia, Ron Middleton, our tight end coach and our running back coach, had went there. So, you know, I felt like I could do that, but that didn't work out for me. So I ended up leaving there. I went to Arizona, played a couple of preseason games with them. They released me. I went to Minnesota for a little while. They released me, and I ended up in Pittsburgh on the practice squad. And I stayed there the whole year. Never got, you know, brought up from the practice squad. But after that, they took me to the NFL yearly. And I let catches over there, all that. And I came back in Pittsburgh, released me the last cut. And they won the Super Bowl the same year. So it's kind of a, you know, frustrating thing for me. And I said I was going to back away from it for a minute and go back and try it just to clear my head. And then I had his brother, a half-brother that worked offshore. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm used to being away from home all the time. So I don't have any kids. Whatever. So I just I, I tried that. And 
I don't know. Some kind of way I got stuck doing it. And I, I've never said I wanted to be a coach because that, to me, that's a lot of work, man. A lot of work. They're always constantly recruiting and stuff like that. So I just, I don't know. I really, I, I really can't give you a straight answer, Brian, on how I ended up doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> Absolutely. Were you surprised when you didn't get drafted? You were a hell of a college receiver, and you know a lot of it's I just was. where you end up and you get noticed. But were you surprised you didn't get drafted? I was, but at the same time, that year that we came by uh, 04, man, there was some high caliber receivers being drafted. Larry Fitzgerald, all the guys from Texas, Roy Williams, uh, Reggie. I think that was the year like eight receivers got drafted in the first round. But yeah, it was kind of it's kind of heartbreaking. I was like, the Giants taking Eli, of course, they, you know, we played together. Maybe I can ease up to New York, but that didn't happen either. So, guess it wasn't meant to be. And so, you mentioned you work offshore now. What what was that transition like? Clearly, you have to like it to some degree. You've been doing it a long time. There's obviously a very interesting work schedule. Kind of take me through your day-to-day now. What is the job like? What have you kind of come to like about it? Oh, man. I work my way all the way up from the bottom. I've been doing it like 17 years now. So I'm a, my current position is a driller. So it's 12 hour shifts, 21 days straight, 12 hours a day. And hey, after your 21 days, you come home. (laughs) How much time do you get off in between the 21 days on? I have 21, 21 on, 21 off. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's not too bad. What is it like working offshore? Like, are you, like, are you, obviously you're on a rig. Like, are you out in the middle of the ocean somewhere? I imagine that has to take some getting used to where you're just kind of out in the middle of this gigantic body of water for three weeks at a time. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a change. I had to fly to work on a helicopter, things like that. And, you know, laying on the rig. And once you're out there, you're out there. Especially, like, hurricane season now, sometimes I have to – unlatch from the whales and run from the storms and come back it's just it's a lot it's a dangerous job but it's it's interesting you know flying to work in a helicopter that's not usually uh you know your average joe's commute to work every day i wouldn't (laughs) say i'm an uneasy flyer by any stretch but uh if i've never been in a helicopter but i can't like i've looked at them and i'm like man i don't know if i would enjoy doing that did that take some getting used to was that your first time in a helicopter the first day you flew out Oh, yeah, definitely my first time in a helicopter. But, you know, it's like kind of like you said with Eli, you can't let even if something bothers you, you can't let them you can't let everybody know that it, it's affecting you. So I kind of camouflaged it pretty good until I got used to. It. I mean, it's something you can never really just get used to, you know. Yeah. But it, it's I'm better with it now. I'll say that. Do you get how much football do you get to watch now? I'm just curious what you've thought of kind of way the college game's gone with the spread offenses. There has to be a party that's like, damn, I could have thrived in this. Four or five receivers throwing 40 times a game. <laughs> I've missed my yeah. era. But what do you think of the kind of state of college football and college offenses now? I watch a lot of it actually, and um it gets to me sometimes because so many rules have changed and things. They can't do the stuff that we used to do back then, but I would definitely thrive. I feel like it's easier now, you know. You, you, I would definitely thrive in this. Like it's, man, just catch the ball. They gonna throw it to you, you know. 
Yeah, and particularly now, like the you know back when you played there, with as much as they're trying to limit you know hits and head injuries and all of that now, like I, if you went over the middle of the field, that was a dangerous game. Not as much so now, but I I imagine you took some shots through the days that you don't really see anymore in the modern game. Oh, definitely. Uh, I can actually remember the hardest one I took was. I remember Dante Robinson put it, bruised my sternum, and that was the week before we played Auburn. I had a bruised sternum, actually, when we played Auburn in Auburn. You know, just things like that. Like, we were playing South Carolina in Oxford, and he caught me, put his helmet in, in my chest and bruised my sternum. But, hey, I was too tough not to sit out the next game against Auburn. But we didn't do that, you know? Absolutely. Do you have a favorite moment with Eli, whether it was an on-field thing? Is there any story or anything that sticks out just from playing with him for three years or four years, really? No, not really. Me and the guy was – like, we real, we was real good friends, and we hung out a lot. We we learned a lot from each other, and we just, we just always had a good time, you know? He If he had a problem with something I was doing, he told me, and if I had a problem or something with something, you know, we communicated well, we just got it done, man. He was obviously had a lot of anticipation and expectations entering that 2003 season. But, like, did you did you guys know he would be that good in terms of ending up being the number one overall pick in the draft? Uh, I did. I did. I knew there was a lot of competition out there that year. But, I mean, that's Eli, too, you know. So, <laughs> that guy. Uh, it, was, it was something to play with. I'm, I'm just glad I got the – honor to play with him like he taught me a lot and and as you can see he kept on with being successful throughout the NFL won him two Super Bowls and hey it's nothing bad to say about the guy what was the loudest place you ever played in oh probably LSU really oh yeah Man, I can see that Saturday night in Death it, Valley it gets pretty damn loud exactly especially with all the Cool asses drinking and all that, you know. So it's it's definitely uh it's different. I always from when my time when I was still a reporter and traveling to games, Auburn was always an underrated one. I remember a couple of times being on the field toward the end of the Auburn game, being like, "Damn, this place doesn't really get a lot of like attention when they talk about loud stadiums." But man, Jordan Hare is loud. Did you, I'm just curious if you shared a similar experience? We uh, I think yeah, definitely that year, my senior year, when we played them. In Auburn, it's pretty loud over there. But I can say they have they had some of the softest grass that I played on. I remember that grass. Last thing I really have for you is just you know with with Ole Miss now you know they're coming off a couple pretty successful seasons, won ten games a couple of years ago. Just kind of what are your thoughts on the state of the program right now and kind of the way they have things going? Um, hey, Ole Miss is loaded with talent athletes. Uh, I think. They decide they got a few things to come together with as you know execution, but overall they're a great team. I just I just would like to see them be more consistent, you know, like have a great game this game and then it's not so great next game. But I think with all the talent that's up there now and Jutkins, like he's just this Gonna be a sophomore year, so obviously he's gotta do better than he did last year, which is hard because true freshman like that, man. Um, but I think overall 
they're gonna be they're gonna be top of the West. What's it gonna? What do you think it'll be like Saturday when you're kind of back in the mix, going through the Walk of Champions, back on the field? What 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 do you think that'll be like, and what kind of memories will it be? I, I can only imagine. I remember walking through there before the games, and hey, maybe my last time may not be, but that's definitely gonna maybe reminisce on the good time, listen to all the fans talk and holler and cheer you on as you're going through. It's, it's gonna be something, man. Eventful. You certainly had a lot of good times while you were playing and provided a lot of great memories for a lot of people, including myself and people out there listening. Chris, I really appreciate the time. It was a lot of fun to catch up. Thank you for joining the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate Chris's time. I really enjoyed catching up. Um, awesome guy. One of the first uh, memories I have growing up watching Ole Miss games for sure is Chris Collins and Eli Manning. So that was really enjoyable for me. Really appreciate his time. We'll be back at it on Sunday with Weldon Rodenberg as uh, game week is finally here. We'll be reacting to Ole Miss's season opening win, I guess, over Mercer. So stay tuned. We'll be back on Sunday.